welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 173rd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 627th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, June 11th, 2020. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moments. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment occurred on Tuesday when Nick Baumgart tweeted out a useful update on one of Indiana's incoming freshmen. Baumgart tweeted, quote, IU freshman Trey Galloway is on campus and tells me his, quote, wrist is doing great. That's a quote from Galloway. Originally injured two years ago, he re-injured it early last season. He'd never use it as an excuse, but it bothered him more than he'd lead on. No plans to redshirt. I expect an impact freshman season. End of tweet. Now, there's a lot going on here. First, it's no surprise that there are no plans to redshirt Galloway, especially with Justin Smith gone. Trey's size, toughness, versatility, and defensive maturity will make him an interesting chess piece for Archie Miller to deploy depending on matchups. But more importantly, the update on Trey's wrist is very important. Perhaps the biggest swing skill of all of Indiana's incoming recruits is Trey Galloway's ability to shoot. It was probably the difference between him being a top 100 player, maybe even a top 75 player, and where he ended up at number 138. Because Trey can do pretty much everything else well and will surely surprise many IU fans with his athleticism. But when you look at his stats, the shooting numbers stand out in a big way. He shot just 25% from three on 201 attempts as a junior and senior. And he shot just 58% from the free throw line on 272 attempts. Those numbers are bad, especially for high school. And in this day and age of college hoops, it's really hard to play a guy on the wing who shoots the ball that poorly. But if you talk to anyone with an intimate knowledge of Trey's development and his game, they'll tell you that those shooting numbers are deceiving. The wrist injury really had an impact. And if you look deeper at the numbers, there is definite evidence to support those people. As a freshman and sophomore prior to the wrist injury, Trey shot 36.6% from three on 194 attempts, and he shot 71% from the free throw line on 190 attempts. Now that's more like it. So what do you think is more likely? That a hardworking coach's son who improved each season in almost every statistical category all of a sudden went from being good to being bad at the most important skill in the game? Or that the hardworking coach's son's shooting struggles really were affected by the wrist injury, and if healthy, he'll at least be a passable shooter as early as next season? I'd be betting my money on the latter and hoping that the wrist issue won't be one that nags him as a Hoosier. And if Trey Galloway is at least passable as a shooter, then I echo how Nick Baumgart ended his tweet. Trey will be impacting winning as soon as next season and certainly beyond. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. San Diego chicken. Andy, what is your bottoms line on the last week in IU basketball? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know that you need to tell uh, people that it's it's uh, really hard to play a guy on the wing who doesn't shoot the three well uh, that are listening to this podcast. But that's that's neither here nor there. 
Just uh, I'd state the obvious. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Uh, well, from a from a non basketball perspective, um, liked seeing a, a lot of the shots from the uh, the protests that took place in Bloomington. I think it was last Friday. Um, just was was awesome to see the city come together. Talked about how some of the businesses were really supportive around there. Um, saw Tom Allen, the football team, get involved. Um, that was uh, that was uh, obviously good to see from a uh, basketball perspective. Um, I'm kind of catching up on some of these other podcasts and got to listen to the Hoosier Hysterics interview with Mike Roberts and really enjoyed that. So uh, I'm sure coaches maybe listen. I have to a right mad crush again. on Coach Roberts, and <laughs> so no, just excited to have him. Uh, with program and good to hear these guys thoughts. I've not listened to the Bruiser Flint one yet, uh, but really enjoyed the Mike Roberts one and uh, you know, hearing his excitement for the the team and, uh, and everything that's going on with the program makes you uh, excited and hopeful for things to uh, get back up and running. All right. And to my right, no, it is not Ryan Phillips or the coach Brian Tonsoni. They each have the week off, but here with us. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, from Crimson Cast, it is Scott Caulfield. Coverdale's like a real early James Hart. Yes, he is. Scott, what is on your mind this week as it relates to IU basketball? I mean, that's the greatest comp from 2002 IU basketball Just out there. First off, I'm it. sorry. I know. Please do. It's I, I stand by. I'll gladly talk to anybody. I feel bad for people who are like, oh, the Crimson Cast music. I can't wait to hear Galen. Like, oh, bummer. <laughs> So the NBA announced that they are going to have the uh, the bubble tournament in Orlando. I'll ask you guys, you know, if the Big Ten was going to come back and finish the Big Ten tournament, where do you think they should play their bubble tournament? I mean, my vote would be the hyper, like the old school six-court hyper. But if you I mean, unfortunately, knowing the Big Ten, they'd probably do it in New York to get the Rutgers, to get the Rutgers <laughs> crowd there um, or something like that. But I mean, where, where would you play the Big Ten bubble tournament? I mean, you play it in Indianapolis and you don't even think twice about it. That's the best place. You figure out how to make it work in Indianapolis. It's the best place for an amateur sporting event. It's the best place for a Big Ten event. Final answer. I agree. Andy? Yeah, I mean, Indianapolis for selfish reasons. Now, you said the hyper. I thought maybe you're trying to think of some kind of multi-court facility that we could... Uh, I mean, the hyper would keep- be awesome just to see like Big Ten teams play in that kind of situation. That was yeah, a lot I mean, of... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of cool like high school gyms in Indiana that you could do it at if you weren't going to have fans in it. I mean, you'd have uh, not that not that some of the high school gyms in Indiana aren't big enough to hold uh, a fair number, but there's some cool like historical uh, places that you could you could try to do it at in that in that regard as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, you could play it in the gym they they filmed Hoosiers at. Like you can rent that place out. Like that would be great. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's what I'm thinking about. Is like I wish I wish we could finish the Big Ten tournament that we started. Um, the the only problem with Indianapolis is like it's like that's where the code, like that's kind of, there's a bad memory of it happening there. And, you know, so like I said, the big 10 will probably do it in Madison square garden. For that's right. Hoiberg's the big 10, like New Jersey, New Jersey. Hoiberg's are, if we're picking up where the tournament left off, Hoiberg has already been eliminated. So he yes. wouldn't be back looking yes. like, uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh boy. Oh, happy memories. That big 10 tournament, happy memories. Uh, I mean, at least Indiana played well. So it is ha- at least happy memories of like one time that we played well in the Big Ten tournament. So we'll, I guess, take that and move on. Um, all right. Here's what we're going to talk about this week. We've got a few Hoosier headlines, including an interesting new name on the recruiting radar that we'll talk about. Uh, then it's time for our Rob Finnessy player preview, and then we will get to your questions as we always do in our third segment. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to all of that, a few quick announcements. 
Please continue to support our friends over at Homefield Apparel. Go to homefieldapparel.com. You can use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 at any time to get 20% off. I know those guys, if you follow them on Twitter, you know they have lots of deals that come up. They'll have 25% flash sales, 30% flash sales sometimes. Uh, but that trusty promo code ASSEMBLY20 lets them know that we sent you there. Uh, and we actually get a little bit, a little cut of that too, so that is helpful. Um, but yeah, that'll always get you 20% off no matter what. And Scott is wearing one of their shirts right now, I see. Uh, Scott has the Watford for the win uh, uh, shirt on, one of the two Watford shirts that they have. Andy's wearing the Script Indiana t-shirt. Uh, I just have my old boring, you know, Indiana, I know. I, sh- I should have worn my home field apparel. I didn't get the, uh, I didn't get the memo. Um, but, you know, that leads us right into our IU headline, Scott, because going on right now, concurrently with the live broadcast of our show, is the Big Ten Network broadcast of The Big Moment, which is a new show that they're doing, I guess, getting the backstory on lots of big moments in Big Ten history. And I don't know if this is the debut of that show, but it is the Christian Watford episode. So talking about the shot, I know uh, Christian and Verdell Jones are interviewed. So uh, if you're here watching live and you're just finding out about that and you want to pop off and go watch that, we will not take it seriously. Scott, now that he just found out about it, may leave right now. We're not sure, <laughs> but we totally understand. But that show should be really, really cool. Um, you know, as many angles as we can learn more about that great moment, uh, that'll be fun. So that's certainly something to uh, to watch or or catch up on. Do you guys have any thoughts on that, Scott? Obviously, you're hearing about it for the first time, but pretty cool idea no, I think, I, by the Big Ten Network. I, I love it. I mean, I got to say, I think the the Big Ten they've done a gr- the Big Ten Network has done a great job. Like the journey for basketball, the journey for football have been really great um, series, and so I'm ex- I'm excited for that. They've done some really good stuff. So I'm honestly, when you said that, I hadn't heard it. I'm excited to watch that. Yeah. Yeah, I finally had a chance over the weekend to catch up and watch the uh, the soccer one that they did on Jerry Yeagley. Uh, I think worth the wait. It was called. It was really, really good as well. So uh, for to see in the Watford one as well. Yeah, and they showed not pictured uh, about Bill Torphy, which was great to see. So who wasn't pictured? Yeah, that in the was night earlier battle. tonight. I think that was on. Yeah, yeah, that whole story. So uh, you know, lots of good stuff going on in the on BTN. It was actually an Indiana takeover today. So pretty cool there, but. I want to talk with you guys about this because I thought this was the most interesting headline. This is really one of the first weeks that we haven't had. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but no real big news about, you know, when teams are coming back and that kind of stuff. Like we kind of found out some stuff last week and, and you know, we're kind of just now waiting to see if, if, if we hit all those dates and what the pro leagues end up doing. But the big piece of news that hit my radar, and this came from Corey Evans, uh, who writes for Rivals, who covers recruiting for Rivals, and actually did a good episode of Podcast on the Brink. I wasn't on it this week, but he talked with Alex Bozich. But there's a guy from Illinois. His name is Brandon Lieb, and he is currently not ranked. He was originally in the class of 2021, but he's a seven-foot big man. Uh, He's on track to classify in 2020. And I will say, I think I saw this on Mike Schumann's site at first. And so I saw the name. So I just decided to pop over and look at some highlights of this guy. And this is before reading what Corey Evans had to say about him. And I was pretty impressed because sometimes you hear about these guys who are not ranked, these seven footers. And we think of the whole parade of guys that Tom Crean brought in that, you know, God love them. They just didn't have a whole bunch of skill that you could see even from when they were recruited that would translate to the, the major college level. But I watched this guy play, and I don't know exactly how great the competition was, but he does play on a good AAU team. 
but he was relatively mobile, had a good-looking shot, like looked pretty good. And so when I re- went back and read what Corey Evans said about him, he said, I watched his highlights over the weekend. I have to say I was heavily impressed. He is not just some plodding big man that can't move or score outside of five feet from the basket. Sure, he is at his best near the goal and is a reliable drop-off score or weak side put-back finisher. However, he can convert over either shoulder in the post, runs the floor with a purpose, and can hit difficult pick-and-pop or trail jumpers to the perimeter. Andy, no word on what his turnaround jump shot looks like. But other than that... Some good words from Corey Evans. And so the reason why this is interesting from an Indiana perspective is that, you know, offers are flowing in for this guy. He's he had him from Bucknell and the Illinois states of the world, but now he's starting to get interest from Indiana and Iowa and Oklahoma and Penn State and Providence, Seton Hall, some bigger some bigger schools. And this is the kind of guy who might have blown up on the summer recruiting scene if you had had it. You know, that's one of the downsides of not having the summer recruiting is guys like this who were off the radar can't play enough to impress you. And so when you look at what Indiana has, where this year, you know, you've got Joey Brunk, you've got Trace Jackson Davis, and you've got Race Thompson. You're for sure going to lose Joey Brunk. You're probably going to lose Trace before next year. So you basically will enter next year with Race Thompson and Logan Duncombe. And then in 2023, you just have Logan Duncombe among guys on the roster right now. Getting a guy like this who might potentially come in and redshirt for a year instead of go to prep school, which is what he was thinking about doing, you know, with two open scholarships is a pretty attractive thing for me. Um, so this is kind of the first thing that I've really seen in terms of how we might use one of those two extra scholarships that I'm pretty excited about and think would be a really good way to use them. Um, Andy, have you had a chance to learn anything about this guy? Um, what are your thoughts on that use of the scholarship? Yeah, I, I have not. I think conceptually, I, I can see that makes sense. You wouldn't necessarily, I think everybody's talked about who are you going to add because you've already got what you feel like is a pretty deep team now. So this answers that question, I think, becomes attractive maybe for the same reason as we've talked about like a sit out transfer maybe that's somebody the front court is obviously as you project forward looks like it will be a need um, so I think there's there's definite upside if you think he can uh, play at this level and get him a year in the system in the weight program um, get him conditioned correctly I think um, most people here big guys I think the first question people would have defensively now is is he going to be able to play ball screens the way that IU wants to do it and things like that so I certainly don't know enough to to speculate uh, on something like that but if you think you could use that and and mold them into something then uh, it, it might be worth a look Scott what are your thoughts on it just yeah. just the general yeah, idea I, yeah no I, I like Andy's conceptual like conceptualization I like it you know when you do talk about kind you know the the parade of Korean big men like I'm still waiting for the Guy Mark Michelle NBA debut that was I was promised um so I'm, I'm looking forward to that this this fall in the bubble in Orlando um no I I, I mean here's the thing is you know, when, when you, when I look at Archie Miller, you know, that on the court, we can have some discussions, but I think I can agree. And a lot of other people should too, on the recruiting side, he's done everything that I want an IU coach to do. Um, you know, he's recruiting kids from the Midwest, kids from Indiana. We got what four, you know, Mr. Basketballs in a row from the state of Indiana. He's recruiting from the area and then kind of going for one or two guys outside of it. So in this case, you know, everything, if, if this was under the Korean air, it's kind of like, okay, here we go. Here we go again. Like here's another, another seven footer is going to be, you know, next, next shack. Okay. Roll your eyes. But in this case, you know, I, I give Archie a lot of the benefit of the doubt. He's recruited a lot of very solid players. He's recruited well for what the program needs and what he's looking to do. And so, you know, in this case, I'm, I'm definitely not the guy who's going to know and watch, you know, tape on kids who are in high school and see that I kind of wait for them to put on an IU Jersey to start talking about them. That said, 
I, I give, you know, Archie a lot of, a lot of leeway in this is that I think he's going to bring in guys who can play his system and can do what he wants to do. So to Andy's question, like, you know, how, how's a guy like seven foot going to play the play defense, play the pack line. Like I, I think he could probably do it well or else Archie wouldn't be recruiting. Yeah. So, you know, look, it's still really early and, and we'll see if the interest picks up and, and all of that, but it is, you know, to me, if you're going to, Number one, Scott, I think that the point that you made is good. We can kind of trust Archer that he's not just going to talk. Like, he's not dying to fill these two scholarships. He's going to fill them with someone that really deserves them, that he really believes he can develop, or that could come in and help the team next season. You know, and so this is really kind of the first story like this I've seen with a guy who could potentially redshirt, and just given how the depth chart looks moving forward with big men, this to me would be an ideal way to do it, um, you know, if it would work out like that. So anyway, don't know how, how likely it is, but it is definitely something to keep uh, on your radar. Did any other headlines that jumped out to you guys uh, that you want to hit before we move on and start talking about Rob Finnessy? No, no it wasn't I a ton that went on this a, week. Yeah, fairly, no. uh, fairly slow week. Gimar Grichel, though, did average 7.7 points per game uh, last year somewhere in France, in case you were wondering. So, well, on the Scott. road to that NBA debut, Scott. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. Okay, uh, coming up, we are going to look ahead to Rob Finnessy's junior season. His first two seasons have been a mix of big shots and tantalizing promise with injuries and lapses of ineffectiveness. Will he be ready to lead and lead consistently as an upperclassman? We're going to talk about that next. Stick with us. The news on flavored e-cigs talks a lot about the technology and teen use but parents need to know more about the dangers of nicotine. So know this. One, nicotine is one of the most toxic of all poisons. Two, kids are more at risk for developing addiction. Three, a nicotine addiction can make it easier for kids to get addicted to other drugs. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. What's going on? It's Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Christian. Welcome back to the assembly call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob chat mobbers. during one of our unedited live broadcasts or watch those replays and see all of the between segment banter, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assembly call. All right, I'm Jared Morse. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest, Scott Caulfield from Crimson Cast. And it is time, gentlemen for as we continue our series of, of off-season player previews, looking at guys as they head into next season, uh, it's time to talk about Rob Finnessy. And, you know, just in terms of an overview, you know, I think when you kind of look at the numbers for Rob and, and, and what he's done through his career, you know, some of them are, are impressive. You know, his assist rate has been pretty good. His steal rate is pretty good. When you really dig into the numbers, it's synergy you know, from a, as a catch and shoot guy, like he's really, really good. Like, you know, in the excellent, like 90%, 90th percentile and higher, you know, he's, he's obviously a solid defender, really good at defending pick and rolls, 
But, you know, I think it's it's it goes beyond the numbers with Rob and kind of our experience with Rob, you know, because there are obviously the moments, you know, the shot that he hit against Butler as a freshman, the way that he played those first seven, eight games where it was like, holy crap, this is the, the point guard of the future. This is a future all Big Ten player. And then the ups and downs after the injury, you know, and everything that happened at the end of his freshman season. And then you come into the sophomore season and the hopes are really high. And then he gets injured before the season and it really takes him a while to get going. And it felt like it was just kind of up and down all season until, you know, toward the end of the year, he started to play a little bit better. The assist numbers were up. The steal numbers were up. And so it's just it, it, it's been these ups and downs, Scott. And so I think now as we enter his junior year, you know, and he's kind of the guy I think you talk to a lot of IU fans, you know, who's the most important player on this team? Obviously, Trace Jackson Davis is number one, you know, but usually among the next two or three names mentioned. Usually the next name mentioned is Rob Finnessy because of what he can mean in terms of setting the pace for Archie's offense, getting the ball where it needs to go, um, and then as a defender, really spearheading that pack line defense. So I think it's one of those, you know, we all want Rob to be so good. We believe that he can be because we've seen it, but yet the totality of the evidence in his two seasons is as much good as there is ineffective because there have been games where he's kind of disappeared and not been there. And it makes him a really intriguing and even confusing guy to project forward for this season because I think he's got all the tools to be an all-Big Ten level point guard, but yet until we see it consistently on a night-in, night-out basis, it's kind of tough to believe it yet. So where do you stand on Rob in terms of your confidence level as him being the guy now as an upperclassman to lead this team to where it needs to go? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit a really interesting point with Rob. But like, it's so much more about the numbers because when I when we, when we knew we were going to talk about fantasy tonight, like my first thought is exactly what you said. Like, he's probably the second most important person on the team next year because when when he's playing well and he's kind of managing the offense, I feel very comfortable with him doing that. But then I started looking at the numbers, and you know, the the numbers kind of hit me in the face that, you know, he took, you know, he was 21% of all possessions last season. He, you know, he, he had his hand on, which is third most on the team. He's right tied with Jackson Davis, Devontae Green at 27%. Shocker there. But, you know, for, for that, he had the lowest offensive rating of anybody on the team um, with that many, with that much usage, you know, Jackson Davis is 119 usage rate um, or sorry, um, offensive rating, you know, Devontae Green's 98, you know, he's at 94. You have guys like, you know, Al Durham or 108, you know, Joey Bronx 101, you know, you you look at this and if you look just at the numbers, you, the first thing you would say is like, well, we got to get the ball out of fantasy's hands more. He can't be shooting as much. Um, But to your point, when you're watching the games, you know, he, when he's doing well, that's when I feel like our offense is clicking the best. So, I, I, you know, you, you go back also to the injury thing. Like I, I feel, I always say this you know, on our podcast, like it's kind of no brainer stuff, but it's like, you know, the crazy thing too, is like, we're halfway done with his career. Like we're halfway done. Like this uh-huh. is, it's 50% done. I feel like he's just got here, but I, something with his career is always going to be like that Butler game, his freshman year, where he hit that shot. And it's like, I felt just like you though. I'm like, Oh my God, we found our next point guard. Like they, they, we have somebody who can steady the ship. And then immediately he gets injured and I honestly feel like we haven't had kind of that long stretch since. Like it's kind of you know sputtered his freshman year. He battled with injury last year. Like I, I feel bad because I don't feel like we've had that like two months of just I'm um, I'm at full peak performance, uh, Rob Finnessy yet. Well, and Andy, you know that's the thing that makes Rob hard to project because it's like if you just had the guy, this guy who had accumulated these numbers, you know, and his two point field goal percentage is under forty percent, and he hasn't been that efficient. His turnover rate went up last year, which was actually part of the reason why his usage rate went up is because he turned the ball over so much. 
you know, I think if you hadn't had all those injuries, you would think, all right, well, this is kind of what this guy is. He's an okay point guard, but he's been below average in the Big Ten. But that's, I think, why there's a lot of hope. And I think a lot of legitimate hope is that when he's played poorly, it has felt like it's been coming off of injury, like he hasn't been able to get into a rhythm. Now, maybe he'll just be a guy that we look at the end of his career and it's like, man, he just never got healthy. We never feel like we saw what he can do. But it's like there's this nagging feeling among all IU fans, and I feel it too. Man, if we can just get a full season of health for this guy, like this can be an above average to really good Big Ten point guard, especially as an upperclassman. And I think when you're looking at the the most optimistic projections for Indiana this season, that is like right got to be right there at the top of the projection list if that's going to happen. Yeah, it, it's funny looking at some of the efficiency numbers. Like I don't think I realized just how a kind of ugly times they were and really just how up and down the numbers were even from game to game where there were you know those flashes that we keep talking about and everybody clings to and and I think you it, doing that allows you to look past some of the the poor performances and things like that so um yeah I think this is a really big season obviously he's really important for IU but I think it's a big season for him because I think if you get through another one and you don't see the growth that you're expecting um, then th- that becomes uh, concerning. Uh, but, you know, if you want to take the optimistic viewpoint, I looked at the similar players on the Ken Palm for him. One of them is sophomore year, Chris Chioza, who really grew yeah. into a, a really, really good point guard for Florida over his last year. So if he follows the trajectory of him, um, you know, maybe that's where things go. And, and I think to a certain extent, he, he's additionally important because of Lander coming uh, and I know there's some questions about how much those two might play together and things like that. But I also think that Rob playing well allows Lander to do what he does best, but also get eased in a little bit. Um, and so I think uh, Rob being able to be healthy at the beginning of the season and kind of build some confidence becomes really important because that always felt like the struggle last year when just every time you felt like he was turning a corner from a health perspective, there'd be some minor setback. And that really seemed to you know, kind of mess with his confidence versus you throw in that Ohio state game. He got off to a really good start in that game. And that just kind of propelled both him and everybody through the rest of it. So if he can find ways to do that, then uh, I think it's positive, but uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot on him, even as a junior, somewhat similar to a lot was really on him. He was a big factor in how IU was going to be last year as well. Um, So kind of another season of the same in that regard yeah and look it's hard to be a point guard at the college level and that was the thing about looking at those ken palm you know player comps is a lot of those guys who maybe kind of struggled as you know freshmen sophomores most of those guys that he was comp to turned out to be pretty good players as upperclassmen like you mentioned shows there were other guys in there you know but to me you know and, and coach mentioned in the chat you know that you know who knows how much he was even able to practice with some of those injuries and that's fair you know and so to me you know, kind of the three things that I think about for Rob for this year are health, rhythm, and role. Because if he's healthy, you know, number one, that's just you're going to get the full guy, you know, and, you know, maybe a little bit uh, less uh, uh, willing to shy away from content and just feeling better about himself. If he can practice and play the full allotment, the minutes, he can get into a rhythm. Because I think one thing we've learned about Rob over two seasons is he's a guy who, when he gets into a good rhythm, especially early into the game, he really seems to kind of lock in. And sometimes, when he struggles early and it just doesn't kind of seem like he's got it, he struggles to get going a little bit. And so that rhythm will be important. And then I think role, you know, I think he's got to be the guy, Scott, that you put the ball in his hands and you trust that he's going to go run the team. But the ironic thing is the thing he has done the best over two years is catch and shoot three pointers. 
And he's not going to get those as much if he's constantly got to be the point guard with the ball in his hands. So he's going to get some because you dump it into Trace, you dump it into Joey, and they find him. But if he can spend a little bit of time playing off ball because you have Christian Lander coming in and pushing the pace and those guys can play together and he can step out on the wing you know, and have Lander create open shots for him, now I think you might find a nice balance where he can be your creator and be your main quarterback on offense, but still have some possessions where he can do the thing that he's the most comfortable doing, which is take those catch-and-shoot threes. And so I think if you get, if he's healthy, he'll get into a rhythm, and if you have that role where he can kind of do both things that you're asking him to do offensively, now you can unlock him offensively, and obviously from a defensive perspective, we know how important he can be there. So, you know, look, I I still cling to, you know, to really optimistic feelings about him. I think he's still going to be a really good player as an upperclassman, there's just that wariness from seeing two full seasons of inconsistency on the court, which are difficult to shake, even if you put it into the perspective of all the injuries. It's hard to shake what your eyes have seen, you know, but I still feel like there's a really, really good path for him to have a good season as an upperclassman. Now, I know you took a look at this and you actually have an interesting player comp uh, that you want to that you want to bring up. And Ryan's not here, so we can feel free to do player comps without being criticized. So, yeah, well, yeah. Eat on that, Ryan. I, I would say this too. I mean, I, I don't like on the surface, I feel like he's done well for three point shooting, but the numbers just don't bear it out. I mean, when I think of like, you know, Jordan Halls is a great for three point shooter, never shot under 40% in his career at IU for a season. No, very specifically on catch and shoot threes. That's what I'm saying. Correct. Like it's a very okay, specific yeah. thing he's been good at. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's the thing again, too, like Andy said, like, as I started digging into this, like I was really surprised at just how, how bad the numbers look for him. Like just, if you looked at just the t- statistical numbers, you'd be like, wow, why is this guy getting 20% of possessions? Like he shouldn't get any of it. So, but I just, I was trying to find the comp of like, who's the IU point guard that you can comp fantasy to, to try to kind of get some growth out of. And it's also kind of just a sad, like we haven't had a great lot of point guards lately. Like Yogi Ferrell's numbers were really good. Yogi does not comp with Rob very well at all. Um, you know, Eric Gordon is also an outlier out that out there. So the two that I looked at, which kind of surprised me too, um, you know, Armand Bassett, you go back to him. But that's who I, thought, honestly, that's who I like, thought you were going to go with it. Honestly, his numbers, Bassett had better numbers. Like, I mean, this is where you got to start talking about the feel and like how the teams ran. And like the, we're two totally different teams, like that 07, 08 IU team and this team now. So it's, it's a harder comp, but honestly, like you go back and look at Bassett's numbers, like his offensive rating is better. He's taking about the same number of possessions. He's got a much better three point shooting percentage, much better two point shooting percentage, much better assist to turnover ratio. So I went a little deeper. Um, I looked at Tom Coverdale, who still comps at James Harden. So can't use him. Um, but I went to, I landed on, you know, this may not be the best comp ever, but Robert Vaden, you look at Vaden's numbers and Vaden was maybe more of a shooting guard than a point guard. Um, but you know, his numbers were right in that, you know, 20% usage rate and offensive rating right around 96 and one Oh, one Oh one. He's shooting, you know, 37, 38% from three, you know, 38 and then 46% from two, his freshman, sophomore year. Um, you know, for him, if you use that, as, it, it, it's a tough comp because he went to UAB to, for the last two years. And so you have a transfer year in there, but if you look at him, you know, his numbers kind of flatlined right after his sophomore year. Um, but again, I think this is also personal. You know, what one kid does is not what someone else does. Like, you know, the, the way that Victor Oladipo worked is not the way someone else is going to work. And so, you know, I, I'm also going to take the optimistic point because I've been here the last two years. I've seen him play. And when he is good, Finnessy is really, really good. And I also think a lot of his numbers, like he takes a lot of drives to the basket. If he could just finish 
a majority of, of layups that he wasn't hitting, you know, that he wasn't finishing, I think those helps his numbers as well. And so I'm, I'm optimistic that he could definitely step it up. I kind of feel like the last two years, his numbers are lower than what he actually provided the team on the court. Yeah. You know, Vaden obviously was much more of a swing man than Rob. So that also makes that comp a little yeah. bit difficult. But, you know, numbers wise, there's some similarities there. You know, Andy, the other thing I, I wonder with Rob is, you know, offensive efficiency numbers don't happen in a vacuum. And he hasn't exactly played on the most efficient offenses, you know, and so a guy like Al Durham is able to have more efficient offensive numbers because he's he's using less possessions. He's really getting the ball in positions more to succeed, whereas Rob is kind of getting the ball and having to make things happen sometimes. And so, you know, I think you have to put that number in perspective. And if the offense improves to the point that we think it will this year, you know, Justin Smith, for all the things he brought, you know, didn't bring a lot of floor spacing. There should be more floor spacing this year. And you've got a guy like Trace who's a year older. You know, everybody's got a little bit more continuity. There's some real offensive firepower coming in with the recruiting class. If Jerome Hunter's ready to step up, this has a chance to be a much better offense. And if it is, and if things are a little bit more wide open, for a guy like Rob who does have some wiggle and does have an instinct to get to the basket, that may open some things up more for him and help him play a little bit more the way he's comfortable. You know, So when you talk about getting into a rhythm, it can be hard sometimes if your offense is a grind constantly and you're the point guard to constantly kind of be the one that's having to lead that grind. And I think we all feel like the offense is going to function a lot better and just make more sense this year. And I think that will... It'll make Rob's numbers look better, whether he's playing better or not. But I think for a guy who really seems to like to get into a rhythm, I think that could have a real important impact for him. Yeah, I I think that that's kind of a rising tide lifts all boats scenario a, a little bit there. With if you believe that the offense can be can have better spacing, can be a little bit more fluid, can potentially get more up tempo, then I don't think it's that hard to see him benefiting from that scenario. I think the other thing he potentially benefits from is is during times when Lander can be out there as the playmaker. As you mentioned, Rob is a spot-up shooter, uh, as somebody who can do some damage there. That gives him a little bit of a break from handling the ball. Um, so I think even having somebody else who may you know push him for minutes or share you know playing time with him from the point guard position may be a good thing for him in the long run as well, even though he's probably, from a defensive standpoint, a guy who'd be out there at crunch time and, um, and some of those kinds of things. So I, I do think if if the offense looks like we all kind of hope that it will and improves in the ways that it, it becomes uh, likely to project that it will, um, you know, with Justin being out and maybe being able to, you know, you guys have talked a couple weeks ago about the options and what that might mean. Um, I think when you look at it that way, then, then yeah, it could be a, you know, he's surrounded with guys who maybe complement what he does well better. Yeah. You know, and look, and, and Indiana, Scott, just doesn't really have another option here. You know, and, and this is why I think Rob gets talked about as the second most important player on the team. Again, Trace is number one. He's the sun around which, you know, the whole thing orbits. But, you know, you look at other guys like, okay, if Jerome Hunter doesn't come through, all right, you play some more three-guard lineups. Maybe one of the freshmen needs to step up. You've got some ways around that. You know, if Race Thompson struggles, all right, well, you know, maybe you got to play Joey Bronk a little bit more. You can slide Jerome Hunter down. If Al Durham struggles, all right, well, you've got, you know, Anthony Leal. You've got some other guys you can bring in. If Rob Finnessy struggles, you know, like, what does this team do? Because you're not going to play Christian Lander starting point guard minutes as a 17-year-old, you know, coming in. He's not going to be ready for that. Al and Armand are not starting point guards. And this is really the guy that you're giving the keys to your offense and spearheading your defense. And so that's why I think... 
a lot is riding on Rob's shoulders this year. Even though there's more depth in the backcourt and you've got a real balanced roster, that's why I really look at it as, you know, Trace has to be Trace. He's got to get better. He's got to stay healthy, be that guy. But Rob is really the other guy where there's just not a great plan B if he isn't not only as good as he was next year, but takes the next step, you know, into being a potential all Big Ten guy. So, you know, I don't want to overrate it, but I really just don't see another great option if he isn't ready to give you 28 to 30 minutes of pretty high-level point guard play. Yeah, I mean, Al, I, I would say I think Al Durham did a pretty good job of, of taking the ball when he had to last year. Um, I, th- I think he stepped up, so I think he could be, you know, a, a good serviceable backup. But I, I hear what you're saying. Like, you need – Yeah, for Al's like five minutes a game. Yes. But, yeah, not the yeah, whole yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, I, I think last year it was it was also a stark contrast when, you know, when Finnessy was in the game, you kind of had some semblance of offense. And then, you know, when Devontae Green was in the game, it's like, all right, it's Devontae time. And it's like, all right, can we get Rob back in? Because I'm tired of Devontae jacking up 30-footers. Depends on which um, game. Depends on which game it was. And de- and depends on whether he made his last one. Like, it depends on <laughs> whether he's made three in a row or whether he's missed three in a row. There were some games. Uh, it's like, dude, just keep shooting. Just just keep going. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Just go for it, man. 50-foot. Who cares? Knock yourself out, bro. Um you know, this is also I, I I hear what you're saying. You know, just playing contrarian. I think this is also where if you know Armand Franklin could also be a little more consistent, it would help out. Um, you know, so but I but I I agree with you, and that's why again I go back to when you initially asked the question. My first thought was like, well, he's probably probably the second most important player, and even though the numbers don't bear it out. I still think that's there because in the end, someone's got to get the ball to Trace Jackson Davis in a good spot, and it's going to be Rob Finnessy more than likely. Um, and that, that's something, too, we haven't talked about, but that's where I – another area I think that needs – he needs to improve and we need to improve as an offense is getting Trace the ball in more advantageous situations than where he's been getting the ball or sometimes where he's trying to get the ball and just you know getting great position in the post and we're not able to get him the inside post pass. So that's something the whole team has to work on, but especially Rob as the, the leader of the offense, he's got to be able to get – get the ball to trace in places that are that are good for him and he's got to push the pace I mean we talk a lot and we you know talk about how Archie's constantly like you know waving his arm to move faster and and Andy Rob has not been a guy through through two seasons that has been real comfortable it's felt like pushing the pace you know he's he's done it at times and he's looked okay at times the numbers aren't very good and I don't think the eye test has been great so I think that's really the next step for him one of the next steps offensively is to get more comfortable. And and in games where he does kind of get into that rhythm, he's good at it. But to really consistently be a guy who can push the pace, I think we all think that's what Christian Lander is going to bring. You know, he's quick and aggressive. Like, you know, you may have to try to rein him in a little bit. Clearly, Archie feels like he needs to push Rob to get going more. That, I think, if you're talking about what are you going to look for over the first, like, five to ten games of next season – one of the most important things I will look for is does Rob look more comfortable pushing the pace? You know, is he leading Indiana to play faster? Because it really feels like something this roster is set up to do a little bit more. And it certainly is something that we know his coach wants him to do. So that would be a big thing to look for him in terms of kind of growth and, and evolution for next season. Yeah, I, I, that that's a tough one to to really try to figure out the reason that he does seem less comfortable doing that. I don't know if it's a injury concern type thing of, you know, wanting to really get going downhill in traffic and do something else I, that may have nothing to do with it. I think the point guard role is such a challenging one. And and that you talked about earlier, how difficult it was to play at the college level. I think these guys feel at some point you're the caretaker of the offense and you can't really make a, or you don't want to make a mistake. And sometimes that makes you play slower and doesn't necessarily even prevent the mistakes from happening. Um, 
So yeah, I, I'd be interested to see if he was healthy enough for a long enough run where you could really see like, is that is he embracing that part of it? As you said, Lander helps with that when he's in the game, but he's not going to be in the game all the time. So um, can you get Rob to feel comfortable making decisions in those scenarios? Because I, I would agree with what you said. I, there, there's been times that he's done okay at that, but there's also been times that some of that turnover rate that we talked about comes when he's getting himself sped up and trying to do um, do things too fast. So yeah, that's a, a a delicate balance and one of the hard things about playing point guard. But I, I think this team sets up well to need to play at a faster pace if they're not going to play, uh, if they are going to play a little bit smaller, um, have some guys on the wing that can shoot. If you push can push the ball up the floor, you're going to get open shots. So um, almost feels like he has to do that or somebody has to figure out a way to do that um, because that feels like the way this team can be most successful and kind of unlock that offensive potential that we talked about earlier, uh, given what they can look like this year, maybe versus what they did a year ago. All right. Last question on this or, or last comment on this. We do have some questions that we'll get to in the next segment, but Scott, like obviously you look at a guy like Trace Jackson Davis, he's a source of optimism for the season. Jerome Hunter is a source of just like boundless optimism. Do you look at Rob Finnessy for this upcoming season? Is he a source of optimism for you or more source of concern about the upcoming season? Like viscerally. Optimism. I mean, I would say optimism because we, the thing that we've kind of always talked about this whole time is he just, he hasn't had a full healthy season. So all the things we've talked about, um, you know, we haven't seen him play for 20 games where he's hundred percent healthy. And so to me, you know, if you're going to take anything from this, this layoff and kind of time off as hopefully it gave him time to get healthy, to get fully on the mend. Um, because I don't know all that happened, but you know, it, it never felt like he got healthy from what happened his freshman year. Like it felt like it was just kind of this elongated, never getting healthy. And same thing with like Jerome Hunter's in the same boat. Like I'm excited for him because I feel like this is going to be the first year we're going to have like a fully healthy Jerome Hunter. And so I- I'm optimistic because the times where I feel like Rob was playing at a hundred percent, he was a different player than we've seen in the number that the numbers bear out. Like the, just the yeah. times he's been great. He's been great. And so I'm going to be optimistic about it because everything else, everything else now kind of sucks, but also just because (laughs) again, you know, some guys are just never healthy and it sucks. Like it's kind of the Maurice Creek thing and I feel bad, but you know, I'm, it, 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 I, I really think that we can get a full year of healthy Rob Fennessy out of here. And I think if we do, I was just kind of one of your, the initial question you're going to kind of going back to it. I don't see why he couldn't be, you know, a top, two or top three guard, you know, point guard in the big 10. I'm not sure if he's going to be the number one or like, you know, of the first team, all big 10, but I don't see why he couldn't be second or third team, all big 10. Um, if he had a full healthy season, just from what I remember seeing what I see, you know, the numbers don't bear it out again, but that's, that's what I would say. If he does that, we're going to be really good. I know that. <laughs> I know that for a fact, I, you know, Andy, to me, I have concerns clearly, but he's still a source of optimism. For what you talked about, Scott, and what we talked about, where it's like it feels like there's a lot of untapped potential if he's healthy. And I just, I'm going to believe that he's going to be healthy. Um, and I think he can be a really good player when he's there. How, where do you stand on it? Yeah, pro- probably in the middle. I think if you look back to how we felt his freshman year, I think you could see a steady build over the course of a four-year career. And then you kind of looked ahead to like, imagine what this guy's going to be like as a uh, as a senior four-year point guard. And um, and things like that. So I think, but, but that didn't really, the, the first part of that trajectory didn't really happen this year. So I think it's fair to be less optimistic maybe than you were before. And I think the other thing with a guy like him versus a guy like Jerome, the ceiling of one versus the other is wildly different. 
um, to me. So I, I think that becomes a little bit hard. So I'm, I'm optimistic because I think there are reasons that he didn't kind of follow that trajectory as a sophomore. Um, but I'm also a little bit concerned, as you said, because uh, I feel like we came into last season a little bit the same way in terms of I'm not sure who the other guy is, so he better he better figure this out. Um, and I think they may do as best they could in, in that scenario. Um, but I, I, you know, so I'm I'm a little bit in the middle. I, you can still see the same guy that you were excited about as a freshman, but you also didn't see the growth. So I think it's fair to temper your optimism a little bit as you go forward to that. Not that he can't grow from a a sophomore to a junior, but maybe he's not what you thought he would have been as a junior if he, you know, continued on the trajectory that you would have mapped out for him as a as a freshman. That's fair. I mean, either way, it's definitely a prove it season for Rob. He is absolutely essential for this team reaching their their potential, and hopefully he does. Because if he does, and if Trey stays healthy, then you've got a lot of pieces to fit around those guys that can make this a really really good team. And I think that's why we're all really excited uh, for the upcoming season. All right. Coming up in our third segment, we are going to answer your questions. We've got a couple good ones about uh, Rob Finney, so of course we'll hit those, and then we'll get to whatever else we have time for, including a fun one about IU alumni that Scott is over there furiously scribbling notes about. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Okay, so that was 4631. Oh wow, that was a long. Segment. That was holy smokes. a fantasy deep dive. Dang, that went long. That's that might be a new record for segment like twenty six minutes. A little bit and, holy smokes! I was surprised you kept asking stuff because I was like, I feel like we've been on this for a while, but I then, didn't. I didn't realize it was that long. Holy yeah. smokes! And I'm not. And dude, I would normally blame myself <laughs> for being long. Like that was not me. Like you, you did like a second round of questions. Like all right, we'll keep going. Like I did, well, I mean, I felt like there was still more like meat it. on the bone, but I didn't quite think yeah. it was that long. But hey, that's all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our first segment was short, so we're okay. We're doing okay on time. Um, here, Scott, why don't you take on the Ryan role and say something interesting while I do math? You have a you have a fun story to regale to regale the audience with more player comps from the Mike Davis era that people can happily reflect on. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't. But I will. Um... All right, I'll tell. All right, I'll throw this out there for the for the chat mob. So this is completely unrelated to IU basketball, but I'm listening to the rewatchables with Back to the Future, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes, watched it with my seven year old. But this this would be a a nitpick for me with Back to the Future. I I love this movie, so I say it with all all everything in my heart. We can criticize the this, things we love. That's a, you know. Yes, I do that with my wife all the time. So um, <laughs> the thing that with with the movie that I've never understood is so you have Marty McFly who is playing the guitar. He's playing John, you know, he plays, uh, you know, Earth Angel. And during, you know, nobody else really knows that he's evaporating into, into thin air. He's just playing. So if you're Chuck Berry or you're Marvin Berry, his, his, his nephew or whatever, <laughs> Chuck Berry's nephew, all you're seeing is a little white kid who came up to play guitar and doing a pretty bad job of it. Like he's missing notes. He's like at one point sitting on the ground, like almost dying over the guitar, like doing a horrible job. And then... The song ends, he kind of pops up. My first take would be like, all right, man, thanks. Get off the stage. Like, I'm not like not play another song, but not only does Marvin Barry let him play another song, he says, Hey, why don't you lead the next song? And then you let this kid just say, All right, man, you know, it's a B riff, you'll follow me for the changes. Like the guys are like, All right, man, I'll be on there. And it's like, I would be like, No, dude, like, hey, get off the stage. Like, you almost just died next to the guitar. Like, I'm not letting you lead the next song on a B riff that just follow me for the changes. Like, dude, you can't even play three notes in a row. So 
That's that's what I was. You thinking just dribble about. the ball off your leg <laughs> during the layup line. Would you like? Yeah, to be exactly. Our point exactly. Basically exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. That's a perfect analogy. So, um, yeah, I was thinking about that as I was listening to the rewatchables and Back to the Future. I was not expecting a Back to the Future rant, but I'm happy that it happened. Although <laughs> we is... do we do have some very concerned people in the chat mob um, about your about your recent comment. Um, about your about your wife. Joel said Scott will be sleeping on the couch a lot. Jen says this will be oh, no, Scott's yeah. last time on the assembly call. Enjoy him now. So, people, why is that? Because you're kicking me off for Black no, Back to the Future talk. No, no, no. About the comment about your wife. Oh no, she's using the things you love. Yeah, yeah. She she she's used to it. She wouldn't even listen to this. <laughs> she'd be like, she'd be like, I mean, she's out there doing something else, just not paying any attention to. Yeah. To that, yeah, yeah. Scott and his internet friends talking about you basketball. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, it's it's May, it's June. What do you guys have to talk about? They She's like having a break from you for a whole hour. Year. Is that what we're saying here? Yeah. yeah, maybe that's her take on it. Yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, you can talk about whatever you want. I do not care at all. So okay, right, so- that problem. The other problem too is when when he he has to hit 50, 55 miles an hour when he hits the 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 string to have the uh, the lightning come down, and then. 88. So if you're doing, uh, sorry, 80, thank you. Thank you. My God. 88. Uh, yeah. Wow. 88 miles an hour. You're doing that. Like you're not going to feather the gas when you hit 88, like you are on it and you're probably going to hit 95 or so the, the, the amount of space between where he hits the cord and the movie theater that he runs into is like maybe 250 yards, maybe 300 yards. So you're telling me that like, if I'm driving that, and by the way, if I miss this, I'm stuck in 1955 forever. I'm flooring the gas until I know I'm in 1985, but I'm going to be able to now on a DeLorean, like a POS car, hit the brakes and it's going to have the stopping power to st- like to stop me from dying on like that thing is crumpling up. You are getting sheet metal in the face. You are you are dying in a theater with the DeLorean in 1985. Wow. Well, I'm just glad it worked out for Marty the way it did. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Do you have time to do your math? There you go. This is uh, I, I coach, at least covered said, for you. For coach, coach said too much math. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, that was good though. That was. I good. love we that movie. To, by the way, to, oh, I love that too. movie. Those movies are great. We and we do need to do a series on like on basketball movies and do some rewatchables. Oh my Hoosiers, god! I mean, blue chips. Yeah, obviously, Hoosiers, the blue chips. The tobacco industry's menthol targeting is straight up racist, and not that watered down type of racist. What do they call it? Unconscious bias. No, not unconscious, intentional. I mean that flooding our communities with ads, killing us by the thousands, and laughing all the way to the bank type of racist. They are literally killing us. This ends now at wearenotprofit.org. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. It's Ethan Happ, and I never listen to the assembly call, especially the episodes that Ryan is on. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks for tuning in tonight, since Ryan's not here. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Scott Caulfield from Crimson Cast and Andy Bottoms. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis whenever the games pick up again. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. 
That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right. Time for the mailbag, gents. These questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, we got a few on Rob Finnessy, so let's try and hit at least one of these uh, from Anthony. He says, do you think we see a jump in scoring production for Rob Finnessy this year with the assumption of better health and having to handle the ball less, maybe sometimes playing as a two and looking for his shot more when Lander is in the lineup? Andy, how would you project that scoring-wise for Rob? Um, he averaged what, like eight I, or seven point six I, last year, something like that. That's what I was. That's what I was just looking up. Uh, you threw it to me too fast, though. I will say, I heard Ethan Happ has signed up for one of those uh, the TBT teams, so we can all get our uh, we can all get our fill of watching him uh, travel on post moves. Uh, yeah, it's seven point three points uh, last year. I, I don't know that I see a huge increase. I think maybe the way those points come changes a little bit. Uh, kind of like I said, I think he might be able to take advantage of some of his spot up shooting. But I don't know that he becomes a double-figure guy by any means. So if he gets to maybe eight or nine points a game, I think that's conceivable. But I don't think any kind of major jump is likely. Yeah, Scott, are you? What are you projecting scoring-wise for Rob? I think I'm I'm pretty much where Andy is in terms of the you know just the average. Yeah, great radio. I agree with all you guys. No, it's it's about the same. I mean, <laughs> I think he might be able to hit like ten or so because he had a couple of games where he had like zero, one, two points. Like he had a couple of pretty low scoring games. So I, I could see him being like around ten or eleven. But now we're splitting hairs between eight, nine, ten, and eleven. So from Justin, do you think Rob can make the All Big Ten defensive team if healthy? You know, and it's always interesting how that that stuff gets voted for because sometimes you need to have you know big numbers in terms of steals or blocks or have some signature moments. Um, you know, and Rob does have, you know, relatively good steel numbers. Um, but Andy, what do you think? I, I think I certainly think he can be one of the Big Ten's five most impactful defensive players, given the role he's going to play for IU and what we've seen from him when healthy. That might not necessarily mean that he's an all Big Ten defender, though, based on how those things are selected. Yeah, I mean, well, Xavier Simpson's not in the league, so that's one spot that opens itself up. So I guess that maybe helps. that's maybe that's a positive. Uh, I think he could be. I, you know, we all think back to the you know Michigan State game as a freshman, watching him guard Cash Swinston, and uh, even some of the Michigan State uh, game this year uh, w- was the same way. I, you've seen him show flashes. I think it's just a consistency thing, which is what leads you to say, hey, may, he might not be an all first team guy just because we haven't been able to see it from a health perspective. But I think you've seen the skills are there, the the instincts are there. Um, so in that regard, I think it's possible, um, but it's maybe not likely just because it, it would require a level of consistency that we haven't been able to see from him so far. And I think that's one of those things that if he is, it probably means we had a really good season because if Indiana is really good and kind of, you know, surprises by not just being the fourth or fifth best team in the big 10, but contending for a big 10 title, that's going to be one of the reasons and people will pay attention to it. So I sure, I sure hope it happens because it'll mean good things. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I was going to say, you know, those awards normally, especially for point guard, like your team probably has to be in the top three in the Big Ten. If you look at like the conference only defense for Indiana last year, we were eighth in the Big Ten. And normally you're just not, unless he had just some crazy gaudy number of steals, you're probably not going to give it to a team that's, you know, playing on Wednesday in the Big Ten tournament, eighth in overall defense. It's just, unfortunately, there's not enough defensive stats. Like that, that has to, it's almost a team award. Yeah. So it's unlikely but he's shown the flashes, and if he does, it would definitely mean good things. Um, okay, Scott, this is from Ari. Uh, it says, kind of a lighthearted topic, but he did Zoom chat this week with actor Jesse Eisenberg, uh, who is an IU fan and lives in Bloomington. How many famous IU fans can you guys think of? Yeah, this is a great, you know, lighthearted, silly questions are things that ride up my wheelhouse. 
Um, you know, I've always wondered why IU doesn't, and maybe he doesn't want to be promoted, but like having, you know, Mellencamp and Meg Ryan at the games or Meg Ryan when they were dating, I don't know if they still are. I haven't talked to, to John in a while about his love life. Um, we saw but, him in a game you know, last year. He was, she was not the person with him. I know. I, I think, I think they're done. <laughs> um, you know, RIP Megan, but, um, you know, Mellencamp is like, he's such a perfect, like he is so on IU brand. Like he's so, you know, small town Midwest, you know, Jack and Diane, like I've always been surprised they haven't promoted promoted that more he's sitting right there on the court um but you know i would look at like kevin klein i always wonder why they didn't you know promote him more i get why cuban's not there um you know jamie from Mythbusters, i, I like but i would also i would also too you know i've often wondered why we don't seem to promote isaiah thomas more like it's just we, we have a lot of guys coming back but like i never felt like there was a super tight connection between like i mean like jordan and unc is really tight but i never feel like you have a ton of like iu and isaiah connections out there Huh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, any others that come to mind for you, uh, Andy? Obviously, it's great whenever you have a guy like Victor Oladipo who's there. He's probably like the the top guy that you want to get sitting courtside right now. Uh, but five seconds left, Andy. Any any good ones that you can think of? Uh, no, no, I also did look to uh, self-edit myself. Xavier Simpson did not make first-team All-Big Ten last year, oh. so there is not a spot open due to him. So. Well, there we go. That's <laughs> it. I'll do that no instead more questions. because I would... I would not be good at the, uh, good. the famous alumni stuff. <laughs> okay, well, that is going to do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thank you to Bob Thompson for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show. And thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next Thursday night. Until then. Thank you from me, Roman Langford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. I don't like carrots. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. So let's, uh, do you guys have a few minutes to hit the rest of these questions? I do. Yes. Okay. I got to say, for those who are still listening, one of my favorite parts of the Crimson Cast takeover of Assembly Call Radio was Jared doing the outros for Galen and just the the, the rhythm of speaking being so different and Galen <laughs> just kind of going so long and then like the song just ending and him still talking was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. He's just so like laid back and, you know, properly enunciating every word and doing those annoying Galen things yep. that he does, you know. Oh, gosh, that guy. That guy. Um, okay. From there was another question from Anthony. Uh, so regarding Christian Lander and Rob Finnessy, uh, you know, he echoed something that we said at times last year. Rob struggled to push the pace up the floor as Archie wants. Do you think Lander will take more of the point guard role when both players are on the floor, since he seems to be more natural at pushing the pace? Andy, how do you think that that'll play out? I would say yes, um, because I think it plays to his strengths gives Rob a little bit of a break and also a place to one of Rob's strengths with the spot up shooting. So I am inclined to say, I'm inclined to say yes. I mean, to me, Lander's out there. His key trait is playmaking and that's the best way to get the most out of that key skill. in in my view, Scott, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic because, you know, Rob has been a guy and we talked about how some games it feels like he's not quite in a rhythm and some games he's more confident than others. Like there's some games he's really, really take charge and like, he's a junior, you know, the ball is his now, the team is his. And so, you know, you wonder if he's going to feel that ownership 
of it, especially when they're on the court at the same time. And you got this young whippersnapper freshman who's 17, but, you know, a little a jitterbug, a lightning bolt with the ball, has always been used to having it in his hands, is really aggressive. I wonder how that'll work. You know, in an ideal situation, it'll be perfect. And whoever gets the ball, you go. The other one plays off the other guy. But, you know, you you just wonder what that chemistry will be like. And I think that's something that hopefully it'll evolve over the season and be really good. But I could see that being a little bit rocky early on as those two guys figure out how they fit playing together while Lander is not just adjusting to playing with Rob, but also adjusting to playing with college basketball. That's going to be interesting, I think, how that works out with the two of them together. Yes, I would never call you old, but you just in that question used whippersnapper and jitterbug in the in the exec in a sentence and a half. So, um, oh. yes, old, old man Jared. No, I I agree. I mean, I think this is something we also do in the summer, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. It's like we just start plugging in freshmen. It's like, oh well, you know, Lander's going to take over the offense, and he's at least good for 12 points, you know, and five rebounds, and he's going to be a great, you know, point guard. It's like. The kid's a freshman. The kid's and you brought it to him. He's seventeen. Like it's very, it's very unusual for someone to come in, like you know Trace Jackson Davis or Romeo Langford. You know, even we've had five stars that come in that you know, like James Blackman Jr., who's a five star who comes in and isn't quite you know ready to take over as a freshman. Like that's really the not the norm, and definitely not the norm of the Indiana players we've been getting the last fifteen years or so. So. You know, I, I think it's folly to say, oh, Lander's just going to plug right into the starting lineup. You know, I, I think he's, you know, he's going to be a little bit hit or miss because all freshmen are. And so it, it is going to be Finnessy's team. And it is, you know, he's a junior. And you really look at it like it's him and him and Al Dermott. Like, this is their team. Like Joey Brooks transfer. Race Thompson, you know, was a, was a red shirt. Um, but he's not, you know, he's not the kind of player who's going to be kind of leading this team. Like this is Rob Finnessy and Al Durham's team. Um, so, you know, he, he should be running the offense. He should kind of have a steady hand. And really in my mind, one of the two of them should kind of be quote unquote running the offense, basically 95% of the game. And so I I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue, um, because, you know, I, I think Lander will fit in there. And if Lander is just an absolute stud and ready to play 35 minutes a game in college, you know, we'll find a place for him and that'll be all right. But this is still, you know, you look at it, this is Rob and Al's team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't. Go ahead, go ahead. No, Jay. no, Andy, go. Yeah, I, I, I definitely don't see. Again, I, I think if if Lander ends up playing thirty plus minutes a game, it's it's because one of two things has happened: either Rob is not playing well, or Lander is out of sight. So, yeah. like out of sight, good. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, out of sight. Now I'm saying like old saying, so we're just you know. Like, like really brand. groovy, like far out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I think you've got I blame Scott I, I think for bringing are... up back to the future. He got us. He primed us to use these words. Absolutely. It's your Absolutely. fault. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it's so all part I of my hypnotic. Think, you know, he's playing. But but I think in general, I, I wouldn't anticipate that. We, we talked about what a challenge it is transitioning to playing point guard at that level, let alone when you should be a senior in high school. Um, so I, I think Rob playing well becomes important early because it allows them to ease Lander in. If he doesn't play well, then maybe you're more apt to, you know, give Lander a few minutes and see if you can get him up to speed and unlock what he can be as you go. So I think it's just another layer of of how important Rob ends up being. Yeah, I think when they're on the court together, definitely in transition, it's going to be whoever gets it go. You know, I think just as we've talked about how Rob is a really good catch and shoot guy, Lander's a good shooter too. So they can both play off each other. I would think that 
you know, even when they're on the court together, especially early, it will default to Rob because it's his team, it's his ball, and I think Archie will be more comfortable with that. And then I think you'll probably see them run some sets for Lander, you know, some stuff that he's good at, get him in a position that he's successful. You know, Archie is still a bit... The Archie that we've seen, at least through three years, is is a real control freak offensively. You know, he just is. Now, part of that is probably because he hasn't had guys that he trusts to run the offense, and Rob now may be entering kind of this first time where he's had a guy for a few years, he's an upperclassman, you know, maybe he takes the reins off a little bit, but I have a hard time believing that he'll do that with Lander and that may help Lander some put him in a position, you know, or Lander could bristle against it. We'll see. Um, but that would kind of be what I think. It's going to be interesting because I think when you start putting together, like what's the ideal lineup for Indiana, you, you know, I mean, th- those are two of your five most talented players. So you're going to want to get them on the court together if you can. Um, so hopefully they can play well uh, because I think Indiana's going to need them on the court together uh, a lot this season. Um, Patrick. Okay, I'd love to hear a discussion on how the assumed lack of fans in the stands would impact quality and competitiveness of gameplay. It's hard to visualize how games can be competitive without fans in the stands, kind of like my work presentations are flat because they're on Zoom versus in front of a group of people. God, that is so true, you know, and I've heard a lot of athletes like kind of wondering about that, you know. And I think it'll be especially pronounced in a game like football, which is so emotional anyway, you know, and physical, you know, and you get so there's so much adrenaline there. Not that there isn't in in a game like basketball, but football is kind of that next level. But I think especially college basketball, where so much in the Big Ten, especially, is determined by who's at home and who's on the road, and a lot of that is just the fans and the comfort level. I think it's going to make a you know a big difference, um, depending on how many fans there are in the stands. Um, so, I, but I think it'll be an adjustment and probably after about a month, I think the players will adapt to it, but it'll be interesting to see once you get into big 10 play after you've had, a, you know, a month and a half or whatever of actual games, how that changes the dynamic of a conference that, you know, where who's on at home and who is on the road seems to make such a big impact. What do you think, Scott? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the tale of two cities for, for IU because in football, it's like we've kind of played in a lackluster. I mean, I'm not, and I'm a football season ticket holder. Those who know, like, I love football, but you know, we're, we're not the big house. We're not the horseshoe. Like, you know, we're not playing in front of a hundred thousand. So, you know, honestly, no offense to football. We could take the same 30,000 who show up and just, you know, move them by everyone move five, six seats. You could probably have the same number of people in Memorial stadium, just spread out. Um, you know, but basketball, that is a real benefit that IU has is playing in assembly hall. And you can, you see it in the record. It just, we, we're better at assembly hall. And so it's going to suck that we're going to lose that, lose that out. I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I think what's going to be interesting is I think just next season is just going to be weird all around. Like I was talking to Galen about this. I think on one of our pods, maybe it was just off the pod too, but just, you know, th- things are just going to look different. Like maybe, you know, maybe there's no, maybe in football, it's just big 10 play. Like maybe there's no out of conference games. Maybe they decide to play a couple games in a couple different locations. Like same thing in basketball. Maybe they just play big 10 games. There are no non-conference. Like I think, I do think the idea of like these, you know, small schools that get paid to just go, you know, around the circuit. Like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's going to happen. Like teams just traveling for three months getting paid. So I think there's going to be a lot of weird things for next year. And I think, unfortunately, it might be a neutral slash positive for us in football and probably a negative for us, um, you know, in basketball. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things. Everybody's dealing with it. So it's not like there's just renovations to Assembly Hall and we're just not going to have, you know, the same. It's everybody's dealing with it. So I don't 
you could probably make an argument that like, oh, well, you know, the, the more mature teams, the older teams will be able to handle it better. But maybe the younger team, the younger guys won't be as intimidated. Like, I really have no idea who it would benefit and who it wouldn't. Um, it, but it, it would seem like the teams that have that typically have the most pronounced home court advantage might be at a slight disadvantage without the fans there. Now, home court advantage is more than just the fans. It's also, you know, your comfort level at your own gym and, you know, different things like that. But it's it's really difficult for me to assess where kind of where the advantages would go, but it'll definitely be strange. Here here's the good thing for us is you know, if you're like my buddy Robert, who lives three doors down from me, he's a Michigan State fan. So, like, you know, he's obviously got a great, you know, thing with basketball going right now. Let's just say they win the national title next year. Like, let's just say there was a tournament this year. Or, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, whoever wins the NBA title this year, you're going to have that weird, like, well, it's a bubble tournament. Like, it's going to be a weird asterisk. Um, you know, and if you're Michigan State, it's like y- you don't want to win an asterisk title. We're in a great spot, honestly, in football and basketball. Because if we, like, let's say – somehow we win the big 10 in football. Like people could talk about asterisk all day long. And be like, I don't care. Like F you I'm done. Like th- th- fine. Asterisk. Give me 30 asterisks. Like, I don't care. And honestly, I'm kind of in the same way with basketball. Like, if we win the big 10 in basketball, we make it to like the final four. It's like, Oh, that was the COVID year. It's like, yeah, I don't care. Like do not care. I'll take a big 10 title. Like if you, if this happened in 1993, I, you'd be a little bit more like, oh man, like it sucks. Like the, you know, the Cheney team didn't get a chance to, you know, go for it that way. But you know, oh, you're playing music under me. Well, you start talking about the my... 90, you start talking about no. the '93. Oh, team. sorry, I know, sorry. But you know, so I think that's where we're in a great spot. Is that no matter what happens, if we are successful, you can slap all the asterisks on it you want. It's like fine. I will take. I'll take a COVID. Big Ten title in football and basketball. I can't imagine right on this college basketball season there will be an asterisk. I mean, everybody's going to play on whatever the rules are. It's going to be the same for everybody. If we get to a tournament, I can't imagine there would be an asterisk because it doesn't seem like there's going to be any benefit to anybody else. Like the NBA season is different because they played half the season. Now they're finishing it. I, I can't see an asterisk for basketball unless they end up having to do something really weird. You know, like like play NCAA tournament games at home arenas or something like that. But they wouldn't do that because that would be like, I don't know. Anyway, I, I I struggle to see how there'd be an asterisk on a season that's beginning now where everybody's under the same rules. Besides, the Big Ten hasn't won a championship in like thir- you know three decades. So to your point, we'll take an asterisk title. We don't care. So, well, I'll take an IU title. You know, I'm not ready to start handing out you know Michigan, Michigan State. Like you know, I I, I care more about IU winning a title than the Big Ten winning a title. No, but that's what I mean. Any team in the Big Ten, yeah. I think, would be like fine. You know. Oh yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah. Except for yeah, Northwest because they can't, they can't even not, win. Yeah. Yeah, Purdue can't even win asterisk titles, so they may as well just sit it out. <laughs> that was the other the other Ari answer that I was going to have for his question. Is like, I wish we had somebody who is in NASA, like just an IU. I'm sure there is like an IU grad NASA. Like, can we please just get them and just promote the living hell out of them and be like, yeah, like you know, maybe Neil Armstrong walked to the moon when he couldn't get there without Bob Schaefer. Like Bob Schaefer's <laughs> crunching those numbers, baby. Uh, three cheers for Bob Schaefer. We appreciate you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Schaefer's the man. Um, okay, Patrick, when Archie was hired, he mentioned how much he admired the North Carolina program. For a North Carolina State grad to say that out loud was amazing. If you look at what Archie wants to do with pushing the ball, even on made shots, the amount of playing time he gives the bench, the focus on point guard play, it seems similar to what North Carolina does. Recruits like Trey Kaufman would fit perfectly at UNC. Do you agree with that observation, Andy? I don't agree with the observation that Trey Coffin would fit perfectly at UNC. Trey Coffin would fit perfectly at Indiana. He will be an awkward and incorrect fit anywhere else he may choose to go. That's my plug. 
Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I, I do think you see some of it. I think you even see a little bit of it just with the, um, you know, kind of continued emphasis on on playing, you know, bigger lineups. So that that's something North Carolina has done, even as college basketball has shifted away from that a little bit more. And some of it, you could argue whether it's necessity or uh, or something else. So I, I never really thought of it that way, quite honestly. But uh, it is it is an interesting theory and you can see some of those parallels. Um, but I, I don't know that if you think about some of the things they run with their secondary break and different things like that, like, I don't think we've seen IU play at that kind of pacing necessarily, although maybe that's where he eventually wants to get, but we haven't seen it. Maybe it's building toward that, but, um, I could, I could see the point. I can see some of the parallels. I just don't know that we've quite moved the needle that far in that, uh, in that direction. I'm going to have to get some more elite backcourt and wing talent to uh, to be able yeah. to play that way consistently. And as Brian says, does that mean our players don't have to go to class anymore? Clearly not, because our APR is going up. APR up numbers up. are so, too high also. That's th- another. Yeah. That's right. Although that's right. perhaps the Carolinas were relatively high as well, given that they were, you know. Oh, well, that's fair enough. Who knows? Fair enough. Scott, do you have any thoughts on the Indiana-North Carolina comparison? I mean, I wish we could be like North Carolina. <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny as as I used to do something on our webs when back when Crimson Cast actually posted stuff on our website, um, but I used to do like an article every year, kind of breaking down the number, like the average number of Final Fours per year per program, and just how IU like we just didn't stack, kind of being like the you know we're not elite kind of BS. But in breaking that down, like it's to, to me I, this comment is actually like it's less about I, I get it like aren't you into North Carolina State but to me it's kind of like the you know Yankees in basketball or the you know the, the Patriots lately in football it's like you look at North Carolina in basketball and, and it's insane what they've done on an on an incredibly consistent basis like even you know Kansas has had just some some major flame outs in the tournament like even Duke has had years where they're just not Duke for the most part, over the last 30, 40 years, UNC has just been an effing juggernaut every single year. Going to the tournament, going to the Sweet 16, going to the Elite Eight. Like, they are probably the class of college basketball. Like, everyone thinks of Duke, but Duke's had more up and downs than even UNC. Like, UNC has just been so consistent. So, to me, it's like they are – it's like, yeah, it's the gold standard. Like, that's what I want to be. Ironic coming off one of UNC's worst seasons ever, but – before, well, uh, yes. Prior to yeah. last season, that was all. That was all very true. After <laughs> after landing the top rated recruit, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. know, they're outliers for everybody, but that that's what made last season so crazy for them. All right, well, Scott, thanks for doing this. We always appreciate you hey, coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. No, it's fun to do. We like having you on here, Andy. Thank you for being here too, and thanks to everybody who watched live. So we appreciate yeah, you guys being everybody. here. We'll be here every Thursday next week. I'm assuming that we'll do the Race Thompson player preview. We're we were just going to wait for Ryan to be there, you know, since he's the president of the fan club and all. Figured he should be here for Race Thompson. So the next shows Ryan is on, we'll do Race Thompson, and we'll just keep going through the the player previews and keeping you updated on whatever else happens in the world of college basketball. All right, everybody, take care. See you all next Sounds week. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Scott. See you, See you, See you Scott. Bye, guys. See you guys. E-cigs don't burn tobacco leaves, and they come in lots of flavors. That's what tobacco companies tell you. Here are three things tobacco companies don't say. One, many teens don't know their flavored e-cigs have nicotine. Two, nicotine is a poison that can rewire the teen brain. Three, 80% of kids who tried vaping did it because of the flavors. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. 
Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.